This is episode number 172 of the Well-Fed Women podcast. Welcome to Well-Fed Women. I'm your co-host, Noelle Tarr, a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer, and I'm joined by my bestie, Stephanie Ruper, author of the best-selling book, Sexy by Nature. On the show, we provide moderately abusing banter, authentic, unfiltered conversations relating to nutrition, fitness, mindset, and body image, and offer empowering advice for women from women. While you're listening, please keep in mind that the information on this podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material and should not be used to diagnose or treat disease. We are so excited to have you here. So now let's have some fun. Hi, Stephanie. It's so weird that I can see your face right now. Yeah. No one cannot see mine. I'm voyeuring. (laughs) I will say. Then when we did that live video together, it sort of made my day. Sort of made my day. No pressure. I don't want you to turn your little video on. I'm just saying. Um, because I don't really look at the video anyway. I have to, like, look other places when I talk. But it was really fun. I really do miss our, like, our... T- oh, there she is, Steffi. I know. I'm so cute. You're so cute. Um, I... Our guest is very patient. <laughs> I <laughs> I miss we like there were we used to hang out in live per like we used to do things together and we just, this was before Noelle had a baby and I lived on another continent yeah it's been a while it's been a couple years well we'll see each other when the book comes out probably maybe we haven't talked about this are you are you coming to DC I am I am blocking the day the book comes out and a couple days around it just in case oh wow I feel really special. I'm just saying, I ha- but like, <laughs> no pressure. I, I I do have a guest room. Um, Good. Okay. Yeah, it's very nice. It's a fully functioning guest room. So cool. So we'll see. I do know that there are quite a few areas in the like northern Virginia region. Hey, folks, mark mark it on your calendars here. Uh, August sometime. Plan to come to Northern Virginia. So you can hang Our out with us. Our book comes out on August 7th. 7th. But you can pre-order it now and we'll give you something special. We don't know what that is yet. It's going to be, be good. determined. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like three months away. We I can't know, just... but Stephanie, I'm, we still have so much to do. Do we? She just, I don't know. She makes me nervous sometimes, our editor. She's like, I'm sending you this on 420 and you have to have this back to me within a few hours. So I'm prepping you right now. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, oh gosh, I need to clear my calendar. I have to make sure I have everything else done. It's, it's just, I'm just like, whatever. I, I know you are. But for me, it's like, I'm like, pre, you know, we talked about this before, but a lot of the, like, I got a little eh about the recipes and the workouts and all that stuff because I realized there were a, a few, like, things hadn't been transferred correctly. And then I just, it just went, I went nuts. I was like, okay, I've got to recheck everything. So I did recheck everything that second time around to make sure all the text transferred appropriately because like oh my gosh what a nightmare if like the work some of the workouts or the recipes were like misprinted i don't know again this is my an ins- a peek inside my world and my over controlling self but um so so i'm gonna check over all that stuff and make sure that all the changes i requested were made correctly so and you actually okay. read the whole thing last time the second pass you read it all <laughs> Yes, you did. You found some you found some stuff that I did not find, which yes, very helpful. I, I, I remain a responsible party in the production of this book. <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie. Okay. Um, so that's fun. So hopefully we'll be able to hang out and you can meet my daughter. Aww. Yeah, she's going to love you. <laughs> I've told her all about Aunt Steffi. Okay. Okay. She's, you're going to be like, what do I do with this thing? I don't think you're that inept, but I just, it was I'm hard for me. Inept. Before I had kids, I was just like, I don't really want to hold your kids. Sorry. Like, I just, it's just a different thing. Like, I don't want to be responsible for hold, holding this other human when I don't know how they, I don't, that's like, it's it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> um, I know. It's a lot. It's a big responsibility. So anyway, anything new from you? Because we do have a guest today who is being very patient with us and we have a lot of questions to jump into. What do you have to talk about with us? Well, nothing, I guess, after that intro. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, seriously, no, I'm, I'm like, I'm totally cool. Okay. I don't know. Like, I love beauty counter. <laughs> I hope it becomes a thing on this podcast that I'm just like so bad at talking about. <laughs> it's so funny. I can't. Oh, what percentage of our podcast is us like listening and me talking in a really high pitched voice? I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, so this is kind of a big deal. And this is really funny because I'm like looking at you say that and it just like made it all that much more funny. Um, we were really resistant to beauty counter. Were we not? We were like, stop with it. Stop with it now. Wait, um, no. Well, like, yes, for a couple years. But then Noel, like, you know, got she, older she and took the blue pill, the red pill. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Which she drank the Kool Aid. I don't know which one. And then, it was. and then she pestered me for months and months and months and months. <laughs> I've just been like, yeah. you know, beaten into submission here. I'm like, no, okay. you have not. You're make that sounds terrible. Okay, what happened was I was, I was persuaded to try the product, <laughs> and now I carry a little beauty counter flag. I'll make, I'll make like, I'll make little flags, yeah. and we can all like. They're not big flags. Right. Like, you're not going to want to put it on your porch with your American flag. But, like, a little flag that you can put on your desk. In your garden. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like makeup. Yeah. yeah so, and, <laughs> okay. We can move on. That's we'll the, talk about that's that the later. Stuff. We'll talk about it later. But we were pretty darn resistant. And then somebody was pestering me about f- trying to try the makeup. And I was sick of not wearing makeup and or wearing very conventional makeup, and then I ch- I carried over that pestering to Steffi. So, here we are. We'll talk more about that later. Let's get to our guest, because clearly that's going to be more helpful for people. We have Megan Garcia here today, by special request, because we have talked a lot about... Well, I am, I am obviously transitioning to talking more about... I talked a lot about pregnancy nutrition while I was pregnant, but now baby eats and baby nutrition is a big topic. And it can be overwhelming. And it is really hard because a lot of the things that I think I'm doing for my kid is not going against my pediatrician's advice, but it is different from like what a, a normal pediatrician would recommend. So it does take a little bit of you know, self-researching things on your own and being a little bit more, um, I don't know, a a little, you have to be willing to put in a little bit more time to do some research and figure out exactly what baby needs. The good news is we have somebody on, Megan Garcia, who has done all of the research and therefore has products and things and can answer questions today. And so we're going to be answering a lot of stuff about pregnancy nutrition and baby eats. Megan is a mama of two boys and she lives in Los Angeles. She has a master's degree in traditional oriental medicine and is the creator of First Foods and Beyond. Her main gig for the last 10 years has been copywriting, editing, and research for folks in the health and wellness industry. When Megan found out she was pregnant with the first baby back in 2011, she began going deep into baby health and wellness specifically a baby's first 1,000 days. Her interest in baby health, combined with a big love for all things food and gut-related, has become the heart and soul of what she does in her own little corner of the web at MeganGarcia.com, which we will link to. Hello, Megan. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you for initiating our, our um, video call today, <laughs> which Steph and I have never done, but Megan popped on and had her video on, and so I put my video on, and then we just begrudgingly, well, we, <laughs> we brought Stephanie on, who, did so, who came on kicking and screaming, but um, yay, we're all, all here, yeah. I'm swaying back and forth. So Megan talked, oh man! Dang it, Stephanie dropped. Stephanie dropped. Probably because she's going to be going doing things during this podcast. (laughs) She's going to go make herself dinner or whatever. Okay, so Megan, welcome. We're so happy that you're here. And we have so many questions. And I know that you are such an amazing resource. You have really, I am part of a Facebook holistic moms group. And Megan is always popping in and saying very insightful and well-researched things about nutrition (laughs) and babies and stuff like that. So um, we're so excited to have you. Thanks for coming and being a part of this. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Really. So talk 
Yeah, in your bio, you talked about the a baby's first 1,000 days. Where did that come from? And does that, and is that when baby makes it Earthside? Like, talk about, I, I'm, that's really interesting to me. Um, so the first 1,000 days is like a term that's used a lot in um, a lot of papers, like scientific papers. Um, I think it was first used, I, I could be wrong, but I think it was first used by Hillary Clinton, like back when she was first lady. Hmm. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, so the first 1,000 days, um, it's sort of like this thing that people talk about um, or scientists. And it's um, uh, the, f- the nine months of pregnancy and the first two years of life. And apparently, and like, so to put there, the, the gut matures up until three years old. So, I mean, there's, it's a, f- a flexible number, but it's a very clean number. And I think um, it's really easy to talk about the first 1,000 days because it's such a like, easy, clean number. Um, and there's a lot of development that happens during those first 1000 days that can set the pace for your entire baby's life. So it's really important to pay attention to certain things because, um, during that time, there's a lot developing. Yeah. So there's a lot of talk about that time. So when you were having your son, you have two two boys. So when you were having your son, were, what kind of like started you into researching all of this? Was this something that was driven by because you were already in the holistic health field or like, were you getting, did you, did you already have your master's degree when you had your kids? Like how, cause that's a really interesting master's degree. And I believe that you do work a lot with like herbs and Chinese medicine and stuff like that. Does, was that before you had your kids or did you start pursuing that because of something that popped up with your kids or maybe, you know, that you struggled with? So I got pregnant during my last quarter of um, school um, mm. in Chinese medicine school. Um, and it was a surprise pregnancy. And so um, um, I just uh, basically before that period of time, I was doing a lot of um, um deep diving into functional nutrition. Um, I don't know if you know the company Apex Energetics. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Datis Karazian, who is like the thyroid guy mm-hmm. and also the brain guy, um, he would do a lot of um, talks through Apex. And so I would go to those and he made a lot of connections that to me connected to Chinese medicine. And um, for example, like with inflammation and wind, those two things are very similar. Wind is a Chinese medicine explanation of inflammation. And in my world and in my experience, he just connected all these pieces and he's a very charismatic person. And so I remember I was very into gut health. And at the time I was also doing a lot of writing for people in the health and wellness industry about the gut. Um, and because I kind of would see a lot of stuff on blogs, I didn't really want to go to blogs for answers because it's like hearsay, like you don't know how filtered down that information is. So instead of that, I lived right next door to UCLA, which is my, um, the school that I got my BA at. So, um, I would just go to UCLA and access all the papers there and read the actual science. And I got really into, um, just looking at the science. Um, and I have like a background in like, you know, like Latin and Greek. So it helps you understand those, those, um, those words that are very complex, right? Like those scientific terms that are like, and and you have to decode the language because it is almost like an entirely different language. Um, But once you do that after a while, then you kind of get used to reading them. And um, so when I had my baby, um, I still didn't know that much about baby health and nutrition or anything, a little bit about pregnancy, but not much. Um, And um, so it really stemmed from my understanding of gut health and my research into gut health. And I worked with um, a person who is very much into the autism community um, and autism has a very strong connection to the immune system and to gut and to genes. And so there's this whole kind of like world that is very interrelated and all those things came together and led me to talk about babies. And then I was looking for information about baby nutrition before two years and I couldn't find anything, um, official. And so, um, and I asked a doula friend on Instagram about it. <laughs> I didn't know too many people and she didn't know anything. And so that is actually why I created the program. Um, It kind of stemmed from me asking, what do babies really need before two years? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard. I feel like um, 
even all of the appointments that I've been to with my pediatrician, which I had a wonderful pediatrician in Philly, and I'm still waiting to get in to see the one here in, in Northern Virginia, but she never was like, she just kind of asked me like, well, what is your kiddo eating? What's the first foods that you've introduced them to? It was never like, here's what some of the the things that your kiddo could be a little bit deficient in. Here's what you need to focus on, that sort of thing. It ne- there was no advice um, related to any sort of what I would consider to be hard facts, you know, like... This is what, these are the nutrients we want to make sure your kiddo gets, and here's some foods that, that can help with that. You know, and that's kind of what I would have expected. But, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of, and I'm sure that this is what I ended up doing, you know, as, as a baby, was you you start off with, like, rice cereal and stuff like that, and um, which is probably the most nutrient-poor thing you could start with. But, and that is not to say that any any mom who has done that is like has done a disservice to their kiddo, but it just it, that's the recommendation, you know, that's the recommendation, and that's kind of what is told among the community, and that's what moms do, and so it's it's hard to um, you're already dealing with so much when you <laughs> when you have this new kiddo, and so trying to like then have to go the extra mile to try to research and figure out like well how do I feed my kid these foods and where do I get them from and what do I do and what do I need to focus on it's people have a hard enough time figuring out how, what their body needs you know what what's right for them and their bodies and their immune system and then trying to figure it out for this separate human being is just can be completely overwhelming especially during a very um, tough time where you're trying to really you need to get your own like mom needs to get her own nutrients in and and it should really be focusing on her own nutrition um which is you know a funny statement in and of itself a mom can't really focus on themselves very much you know in the the first 1000 days but um yeah so so that's a really interesting story and so do you um how do you apply Chinese medicine and what you learned in school? Um, do you do you have a program, let's say, for that? Are you working on a program or do you have work with clients? Like, how do you kind of integrate Chinese medicine into what you do? Um, I was writing a blog post about herbs for babies, and then I think I might turn it into like a little ebook or something. But other than that, I just kind of talk to people and tell them mm. things that I know and um, try to help out and... I'm developing my, in a way, I mean, in terms of like what I have to offer, like it's very much in the development phase. I'm sort of just like doing my thing and we'll see where where that goes. Um, Instagram, is that how you're displaying the information? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I connect to a lot of people through Instagram and through Facebook and then um, through, you know, my website has some, some blog posts that, um, I, I try to listen to like the big questions, like the things that I mm-hmm. get asked over and over again and turn that into material that people can use. Um, so I did one recently about, um, about introducing allergens um, and it's completely 100% based on a paper. It's very like, you know, it's step-by-step, very clear. Um, <clears throat> and there's, I, I think there's this tendency in like the alternative health and wellness field, which is kind of what, the paleo world is a little bit, or there's like this crunchy side, you know, of, of, of approaching health. And then there's, you know, this desire to bring in like science and research. And then it's kind of like, how do you balance the two? And I think that, um, so I've, I've come across in a lot of ways, a lot of moms that are, um, or just people in general that, um, sort of see that as, or they just aren't open to it. Like there's mm-hmm. this sort of judge, like judgment against um, research or science or whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it's important to pay attention because the people that do this research, they care a lot, probably just as much as we all do about babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's big, like big organizations. I, and I think that there's this idea that there's an agenda that people are just out to get money or whatever. And I think for the most part, science is really amazing because it always asks questions, whereas a blogger or somebody might have their own agenda. Like if you're a very crunchy alternative, whatever, or you're very skeptical, like you have your own inner ag- agenda. And I think the really cool thing about science is that they're always like, here's the information we know, and this isn't the entire answer. We need to do more research and we have more questions. And so it's always open-ended. And I really appreciate that. 
And so I try to present information in that way. Like it's mm-hmm. not me saying it, it's like the science thing. And I'm just kind of like the reporter or whatever. That's awesome. I love, love, love that approach. So with that, because you already mentioned a few things that we have questions about, we got a, a quite a few questions from our Instagram community. Um, and so let's just dive in. We've got some stuff about pregnancy and managing that as well as like you mentioned, what to do for babies who, you know, how do we support their immune systems if they were born via C-section or if they've been on antibiotics? And then also just how do you introduce foods and, and what to focus on? So question number one is from Canada Loves Chicago. Before I got pregnant, I didn't eat much dairy or grains. Now that I'm pregnant, they are my only cravings. I suppose it's better to have cravings for Greek yogurt and peanut butter toast than running to McDonald's, but I worry that I'm harming my baby. The thing is, I'm having food aversions to my usual go-tos like meat and vegetables. Is it worth avoiding dairy and grains instead of eating food I can't stomach? Um... And yeah, this is a really common question, Megan. And I, I probably get a question sent to the podcast like once a week from a mom who just feels really desperate that they cannot eat the foods that they used to eat that are really nutrient dense because they have these aversions. So kind of what would your general you know, recommendations be there? Well, um, I mean, those vegetables are very important. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. At the same time, I think stress and and, and sort of feeling bad that you're not doing things correctly. That can also be uh, not a good situation to put yourself in. Um, Stress is a huge factor in so many um, health issues. Like that's mind body connection is very real. So, um, you know, I think it's important to do what you can to um, help with uh, queasiness or nausea. Um, And that could be acupuncture or um, some vitamin B6, ginger, things like that can help. Um, It it depends on the mom. Um, But I think there is something to be said, too, about just eating normal foods. Because when you eat grains or carbs or whatever you're, uh, um, or not just carbs, but um, grains and things like that, that you don't typically eat, you are exposing your baby to those food proteins. And that's a good thing because that protects your baby against food allergies um, later on. So, Okay, so that's a thing. Is that a thing that that if we are try to be a little bit more um, diverse with the foods that we're eating during pregnancy, it actually does help our baby. So, for example, if I am just not eating dairy because it, it doesn't make me feel all that well, but I don't have a severe allergy to it. Should I be trying to incorporate maybe some like raw cheese or, um, you know, like grass fed kefir or stuff like that in order to expose my baby in utero to those proteins? Yes, definitely. Yes, because it's a balance act. I mean, it depends on if you're going to be really inflamed because you ate eggs or dairy, then no, because that inflammation isn't good for baby either. Right. Um, the placenta is actually full of um, enzymes that help to break down histamine. Um, So it's really important to protect your baby against inflammation. However, um, it is really also important to expose your baby to food proteins and also to animals and things like that. Like that helps to tone the baby's immune system. Fascinating. I remember doing research on that when I was pregnant. And so I did, I tried to include more grass fed butter and stuff like that and the stuff that I could tolerate pretty well. And you're going to laugh at this, but um, that's, I don't eat any <laughs> peanut butter. But of course, I was like, why not eat, you know, dark chocolate peanut butter cups? Like, of course. Why was I not thinking about this? Um, expose my baby to peanut butter. Yeah. So because obviously peanut butter is a pretty, you know, severe alert. It can be a, a severe allergic reaction that kiddos have. So um, moms, eat the peanut butter. This is your, uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> eat the chocolate covered you know, peanut butter, whatever. Um, okay, second question is from Jay Dubois427. While living a paleoish lifestyle, I don't eat a lot of dairy or grains. I'm pregnant and a little worried my daughter will develop food allergies or sensitivities to foods I don't eat. Should I be worried about this? So we just kind of covered that. Should, should she be worried necessarily? And then what can she do if, like you said, when a mom has um, a, a reaction to something that does cause inflammation is, is there a way that 
that we could, you know, should we, is there, is there something we can do uh, maybe after that baby is born to help them not have a reaction like we do to things? I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you're going to have a reaction, um, it's probably a good idea to avoid it. Um, um, if you can't eat it, then eat it. Um, and then after baby arrives, um, you know, if you eat certain foods, those same foods, the, the, the food proteins will go into your breast milk if you decide to breastfeed. So that's a good thing. Okay. Um, but other than that, um, just exposing your baby to um, those allergens when you begin solids after you've established eating, um, that's probably the next best thing. Okay. All right. So two questions. One is from Jen, personal trainer, and the other one is from Jana Marie. Should babies born via C-section be given probiotics and what kind and at what age? And then Jana Marie says, my son was born via emergency C-section. What are some things I can do to help him be healthy and develop a good immune system and good gut health since he missed out on some important things he would have gotten through a vaginal birth. So maybe talk about what's the difference with a vaginal birth and, and are babies exposed to more good gut bugs? You know, is, is that a thing um, with vaginal okay. births versus C-sections? And then what we should do if our kiddos are born via C-section? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, okay, so when a baby is born vaginally, um, the baby is coated with all the microbes in mommy in the mom's um, vaginal tract. Um, and that's a good thing because a lot of these are um, what we think of as probiotics. Um, whereas if a baby is born via C-section, then the baby gets skin microbes, which are a completely different strain. And so um, what you see, and and probably the most important places that are inoculated would be the mouth, the nose, all the mucous membranes. Like you really want those to have those good vaginal bacteria. And so um, one thing that's um, sort of been practiced and it's kind of like in the literature or whatever is vaginal seeding, which is basically where you take swabs of mom's vaginal microbes and you seed those mucous membranes. Um, and then they've, they found that that helps the baby to establish a, um, a gut microbiome that is very similar to a vaginally born baby, which is amazing. The only issue with that is that um, what if mom has some sort of like infection or vaginal infection? And so there's like, a, there's, again, like with science, there's always like, here's this thing. And then here's this problem. So um, it's not, I don't think it's really happening, um, but I think you can request it. So that's the difference between C-section and a vaginal birth. Now, um, after, so I've noticed, and I think this is um, also something that is talked about is that C-section, babies born via C-section tend to have eczema. Um, it's a very common thing. And um, something that I've been talking about a little bit like on Instagram and Facebook, and I need to blog about it because I think it's a really important thing. I get so many questions about it is the connection between histamine and eczema. Um, there are There is a lot of like research showing that there is this connection between high histamine and eczema happening. And so um, what you want to do if you have eczema is try to um, either reduce your histamine load or improve your ability to break down histamine. And what's really interesting is that there's strains of microbes that produce histamine, and then there's strains of microbes that break it down, and then there's the neutral strains. So some probiotics for babies have histamine-producing strains. So um, something that I think is really important to keep in mind if your baby was born C-section. So uh, back up. Um, before that, there are like officially like three times when you want to give your baby probiotics for sure. And that is um, if there's a C-section birth, if there's antibiotics, or if your baby is not breastfed. Um, these are the things that help to build your baby's microbiome, which the microbiome is the sort of communities and the tribes of microbes that are a part of the body, but usually that refers to the gut. And um, that is very much connected to the immune system because your gut is like surrounded by all this like white lymphatic tissue. And that's like very interconnected to the immune system. So um, it's really important for babies' digestion and immune health um, to have a healthy microbiome. So um, those things, those three things affect it. Um, uh, the formula feeding C-section delivery and antibiotics. So you want to give um, probiotics 
during this time. And I've also found that prebiotics can be uh, pretty important and and also helpful. Um, and then when it comes to probiotics, um, you would want to do um, the strains that help to break down histamine and you would want to avoid um, the strains that make histamine. Um, there's one probiotic, it's called Gut Pro, and it's really amazing. It's a little pricey, um, but it's definitely worth the dollar, I think, because um, it... It contains only strains that break down histamine, um, and it is there's no prebiotic in it, so it's 100% microbes. Um, and then there's another company called Seeking Health, and they make um, a probiotic. It's not for babies. So the one from Gut Pro is Gut Pro Infant, and that's mm-hmm. the one I would get. And then the one from Seeking Health, um, they have two. They have one that's just... Um, the bifidobacteria and the, those strains are very good at um, degrading histamine. And then they have another one called, I think it's like histamine block or histamine X. And that one only has uh, probiotics that help to break down histamine. And lactobacillus plantarum is um, another strain that's really great for that. Hmm. So if somebody, if their kiddo, so two different things. One, if you have those three scenarios, it is important to give your child a probiotic. Is it just something that somebody does for one, like for 30 days or should they do this long term? I would assume that if you're not breastfeeding your kiddo, it might be something you do long term. But if your kiddo has, let's say they had a UTI or something and they were given antibiotics, it would be something that maybe you do for like a couple months. Like what would, what would, is it all over the place or do you have a general recommendation for how long? There are no official recommendations. Um, I think based, so probiotics also have in and of themselves an antibiotic ability, Hmm. like the way that they, the way that they control. So in the gut, the microbes like compete for space and whatever they try to survive and they try to grow and perform. Um, and so, um, they have ways to kill other microbes. And so they do have an antibiotic capability. And so there's some science that says that, you know, you can't overdo it with probiotics. And the thing about a baby's gut is that it goes through these stages of evolution until about three years old. And then it's adult-like, it's kind of like set. So, and what's really interesting is that these stages are kind of like the same across the board. Um, there's some communities, um, where they have a very different thing happening. Like in Tanzania, there's something completely different happening, but for the most part, um, most babies go through these stages of evolution in terms of the gut. And so I think like dosing probiotics all the time, um, it's not a good idea and, um, you would want to give it as needed after a round of antibiotics, um, there's, there's no recommendation that I know of. I would just be intuitive about it. Um, Mm -hmm. if you see, usually there's stools that are loose or there's some kind of like sign that something is amiss after some antibiotics. So then you give the probiotics and then once things stabilize, then you pull back on them and you do more, um, maybe some prebiotics instead to help feed the communities, but not give a direct probiotic. So eczema is, you think so related to histamine is that kind of what you're there's, there's research on okay <laughs> yes <laughs> you you based on your research yeah. um yeah because eczema is a big thing you know i feel like every mom group i'm a part of is there's a lot of kids with eczema and it is a, it's it's hard it's a struggle um and i think a lot of different things play into that which we don't have to get into all of them but um in general it, it can be related to histamine and what is histamine like is it's it's something that's produced in the body but like yeah maybe you could just talk a little histamine is reduced with um if there's a trauma or injury it's also like it like helps you get sleepy it's a it kind of performs a couple different roles in the body but mainly it's the thing that's responsible for like itchiness and redness and it helps to like open up the blood vessels and you know like i said during pregnancy um the body is very sensitive to histamine um, it's an, it's a compound that's related to the immune system. So, um, there I, I've noticed that when it comes to eczema, there is a lot of conversation around, um, supporting the gut and s- supporting the immune system. But that little piece of the puzzle that involves histamine is not really talked about. And I think that can be really important because 
I mean, if you're taking probiotics with microbes that make histamine and your baby has eczema, then you might not see the results you want. So it's really important to know that little puzzle piece. I like it. So um, there was a there was a thing, a question about which probiotics I used for Stella, and it was actually the Gut Pro Infant, and we will link to it in the show notes because I keep getting questions about this. It's the exact one that Megan mentioned, Gut Pro Infant. I will note that um, I did not keep her on it for very long. Um, it was something we tried, but it Ultimately, what my kiddo's issue was, was reflux as a result of an intolerance to when I was eating eggs. Once I figured that out, we were fine. But of course, eggs was the last thing that I thought of. I tried everything else um, because why would it be eggs, you know, Um, but it was eggs. And so once I removed eggs, she did not have any gut issues whatsoever no constipation. There was no need for me to continue to keep giving her a probiotic because I was breastfeeding her. She was getting probiotics that way and she wasn't having any sort of reaction. It was this constant kind of colicky, crying, screaming that happened for, you know, two months because of the, it could a lot of things, but it was, you know, mostly because of the eggs. So I still actually haven't given her a probiotic. Um, to this day because she is breastfeeding. But one of the things that I do do is, and I've mentioned this on Instagram, is I do give my kiddo some sort of probiotic foods every day. So whether that's sauerkraut, which my like baffles me, but she just loves it to pieces, um, raw sauerkraut or some like kefir, which I was pretty on top of um, after solids were established, giving her some sort of um, probiotic dairy because dairy does bother me and I just kind of wanted to introduce her to that. So that's kind of what we do for probiotics as of late, which that may change, but we do have a bottle of gut pro infant um, <laughs> in the fridge. So, okay. Uh, another really important question that a lot of people had from Lil Bitty Steffi is, what are the must-have foods and nutrients when breastfeeding? Um, So this may be a little bit outside of your wheelhouse, but I think it's important, you know, just to kind of call attention to what we should be eating so that we can make good milk. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is DHA. And DHA is a long-chain omega-3 fatty acid that um, is anti-inflammatory. It's only found in fish, really. Um krill it's yeah fish um and your body some people don't have the ability to really make dha from plant foods right um, because you can't get some omega-3s from plant foods but it's different um and i think that's a really important point to make because your genes can play a really important role in your ability to make dha and so it's really important to take that because not only does it help with mental health um During my first pregnancy, I had um, really uh, intense postpartum anxiety. Um, And I think part of it was because I really, I was taking um, the fermented cod liver oil. And I don't know if, you know, there's that whole scandal. Drama. (laughs) The the fermented cod liver oil drama. Yeah. and I actually avoided it because I'm like, this is just not <laughs> yeah. I want to go into. But then I had to do a project for somebody, which involved me reading about it. And so <clears throat> um, as far as I can tell, you know, it's very, what's your take on it before I do that? We were just like, look, it, it is what it is. Um, you, if you find that it's still helping you continue to take it, I personally actually moved to just like an extra virgin cod liver oil. Um yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest like, so there's that whole like report, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and it makes sense. And I know that when I used to get it, I called them once cause it was August and it was hot and they had left the box out on the porch and I was concerned that it had been out all day. And I, and I was thinking in my mind, like this is a very sensitive oil. It shouldn't be out in the heat, et cetera, et cetera. So I called the company and the lady that I spoke to, she's like, oh yeah, you can just like store it on the fridge. It's fine. It's, it's, it's okay if it's out in the heat. And I thought that was really weird. And um, apparently how the fish oil is made is just um, exposed to the elements, um, kind of like fish sauce. So, mm. um, and, and for me, the big red flag was um, the this, I went, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Wayback Machine. Yes, yes, yep. <laughs> so I got really like obsessed and I was trying to find this one 
blog post that I could see that was cached, but I couldn't find it because it had been deleted. So I used that machine to find some information that was posted on the Green Pastures website. Um, and it was basically the creator of the fermented fish oil saying that he had like muscle tested, um, you know, uh, these oils and it, um, helps with these pretty severe problems. I think like severe health problems. And, and I, I know a lot of people do muscle testing. I personally don't. And, and that's cool. But at the same time, like for me, it's like, it's a subjective, uh, way to, gather information you're like it's it's very subjective and when you're saying something is good for everyone you need to be objective right so i just thought that was kind of like um just not reliable yeah um anyway. so not so scientific would, yeah <laughs> and i'm like very into like the mind body connection and energy and whatever but i also like have like serious respect for science because there's a lot of like i said like questions and open-mindedness in a sense and even though that's weird to say, like it does have that element to it. Um, anyway, so I was taking that at the time and I had severe postpartum anxiety. And I think part of it was um, my DHA levels. Um, so I think it's really important um, to bring that back to the question. Um, choline is also very important. Some people with um, a P, it's called a PEMT mutation. Um, they actually don't make um, choline from like endogenously. So choline can help with... Um, uh, milk ducts that have been clogged or mastitis. And so I, I talked to a lot of moms that have that issue. Um, so I think krill oil can be a really important source of choline, or you can get choline from Seeking Health. They have a couple of supplements. Um, it's also in their prenatal. A prenatal is really important for breastfeeding. I mean, if you just take a general prenatal, and not just general, but a, a really amazing prenatal, I like um, Seeking Health, like I said for the choline and just, it has many nutrients that you don't find in other prenatals, um, but it is not a hundred percent natural. So I know some moms um, might have an issue with that, but I think personally, I think it's important to be flexible. And um, with my first pregnancy, I also tried to do everything through food um, and be very natural in my approach. And ultimately I think I ended up a little nutrient deficient and it's important to realize that, you know, your genes can actually affect how you metabolize and make and create nutrients and use them. So not everyone is the same and not everyone can use food to the same capacity. So, you know, work with your body, be flexible, try different things. Um, what else for breast milk? Um, you really want to do a lot of plant foods um, because I think a lot of people like plant foods are not very um, emphasized sometimes. Um, I, I think in the paleo community and, and like the health community they are, but um, there is this one study like from 2015 and it basically said that um, they looked at mom, like at the breast milk from mom's, living in the United States, in China, and in Mexico. And they looked at the levels of carotenoids, which is something that helps with um, your eye development and your brain development. And they found that moms in the U.S. had like 40% less than those in China and 20% less than those in Mexico. So um, eating a lot of vegetables is really important. It's also important for, from the perspective of it exposes your baby to flavor. Like veggies have a lot of like bitter notes, um, spices have their own thing going on. So if you want to create an adventurous eater, you really want to bring in a lot of like plant foods and flavors, um, because it has that, like, I guess, texture to it. Too. It's interesting. <laughs> I'm consider I'm thinking of myself eating broccoli and then my child like tasting like broccoli milk, um, which is just a funny thing to think about, but I, <laughs> Anyway, okay, that's very helpful. So our last few questions are some big topics. Um, from Hey Life, what's the deal with doctors always going back and forth with the age baby should be given food? It seems like it's always changing from four to six months. This is highly debated, by the way, in all the mom groups. It's like my my pediatrician saying like the day they turn four months to introduce, you know, peanut butter or whatever, um, somewhere between four to six months. I have a six month old and still haven't introduced and introduced anything. I plan to soon. But is there a rush? My baby isn't sitting up on her own yet. And I think but I think she is very interested in food. So introducing salads what do you think about a timeline and then yeah like 
are there cues we should be looking for in order to make that judgment call or should we listen to our doctors which of course we should always work in concert with our doctors we're not medical professionals but um you know you can give your opinion (laughs) i think doctors have the best i mean so okay um in 2005 um the world health organization changed their recommendations from um uh from four months to six months so i think maybe there's some like old school doctors that are still kind of following the old rules, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so um, I I think that there is a need to get iron into baby. Um, There's a very high need for iron um, at six months. Um, Before that time period, your baby um, gets, well, if you practice, like if you let, if you birthed your baby and then you did not cut the cord, um, or the doctors didn't and they waited, that means that there was a full transfusion of blood and your baby got all that blood and iron. So, um, your baby has iron stores. Um, also this is really interesting. Um, consuming vegetables, um, during your third trimester, it actually helps to create short chain fatty acids and also fish oil that, um, turn on this gene that is the iron transporter gene. And so, um, that also can help with iron levels. Um, so these, all these things that people say to do all the time, like, it's just like, it's so simple, but then there's all these like complex reasons why it's really, really great. So vegetables and fish oil and things like that. Um, so there's this need for iron at six months and your baby's iron needs are the highest they'll ever be for the rest of your baby's life. Um, that's relative to weight, of course, but, um, it's just, it's an important nutrient and you can't go back and like, if there's a deficiency, you can't correct that in the future. It has its impact during the time that it's happening. Um, so I think that's why doctors, and, and there's a lot of science on this. And I think that's why they push for rice cereal and those types of things. Um, for parents that do decide to do cereal, um, rice is not the best thing because it is high in arsenic. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and there's actually a lot of science on that as well because um rice is widely recommended and there's people out there that are like why are they doing this babies shouldn't be taking rice because it's high it's naturally high in arsenic um and that can create or it it can increase the risk of cancer so um Mm -hmm. rice is not awesome um but yeah i think that's why doctors do that um and why they suggest four months um I've also worked with moms where their babies are ready to eat at four and a half or five months. And I think that it does not have to be a six month um, start date. Exactly. I think you can be flexible and I think you can listen to your baby's cues, which mostly is an interest in food. If your baby is around that age and they're interested in food and they have the ability to sit up, then um you can start foods and you can start solids and start with meat um, because meat is very high in heme iron. Start with liver. That's even better. Start with meat. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because I feel like a lot of times doctors have, um, you know, I do think that, that most pediatricians have the best of intentions. Um, they didn't get into like being a child doctor because they wanted to ruin lives. It's, they probably have a really good heart. <laughs> um, and so, I do think that um, there's a lot of good recommendations, but ultimately you as the mother are going to be able to take that advice and then make it work for you and your kiddo. And so if your kiddo is sitting up and is is able to kind of hold themselves up, that's a that's a good sign. And then if your kiddo's reaching for your food, you know, your, your kiddo's probably around you a lot. And when they see things go in your mouth and they're really interested in it and they'd like to experience it, that's a really good, you know, interesting thing for uh, you know an interesting time to to do that i did see a couple um instagram posts of friends who had you know five and a half month month olds and they'd have like a little tiny strip of steak and they would hold on to it and their kiddo would kind of just sit in their lap and suck on it and i thought that that was really cute you know it's a it's a thing where it's like oh i'm eating my meal but here i'm gonna let you kind of just sit and suck on this and get some iron from it um and that seems really natural to me. It's a very natural progression of like somewhere around that, you know, five to six months-ish time frame, 
kids really do start to show interest. They have, you know, hand-eye coordination. They're really interested in what you're doing. They're so interested in your mouth and noises that you're making and what's going in. And um, yeah, so I, I don't think that there's a rush. But like Megan said, there's definitely a time frame where you do really want to focus on um, supporting your baby with, with iron and really focusing on iron and... Um, you can do this with grass-fed meats, you know, cutting a strip of steak and allowing your kiddo to suck on it. One of the things that I absolutely love is from U.S. Wellness Meats is the liverwurst. Stella has been eating that since, like, basically she's been eating solids, and she still loves it and eats it up. Um, and it's already pre-cooked, and it's, like, in a little log um, sort of like what you'd like cut pepperonis from, but it's in a log and I just cut it into sections and defrost it and she loves that. And so I do think there is something to be said for also introducing your kiddo to foods like that early on so that they acquire a good taste for it. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of babies will love like bone marrow and liver. Mm. And these are some pretty like interesting tasting foods to an adult palate. Yeah. And then they tend to go through this phase where they reject those foods. So um, it's even if you, and, and then they'll go back and it's kind of, you know, it's a never ending sort of <laughs> negotiation. Yeah. Huh? It's a never ending negotiation with your kid of like, let's try this it again. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, if you get those foods in, it's great just from a nutritional perspective, I just think it's really interesting that babies go wild usually over these foods where we would just think that they're kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I think is really interesting too is just introducing foods to your kiddo and letting them kind of make the decision and seeing where they go. So like, you know, I've, I she can eat an endless amount of liverwurst, which makes me think that her body definitely needs that. But she'll also eat, you know, she had a phase where she would eat a ton of avocado. But then when she really started moving and crawling a ton, like fast crawling, like constantly, she was much more into the more hydrating berry type of foods. Like I could put an endless amount of berries on her plate and she would just down them, you know. And, um, you know, I'm really... I want all the vitamin C because we had a terrible flu season. So I was like oranges and raspberries and stuff. And she would just down it. And um, so it's really interesting. And then like more down days, sometimes she'll just eat more fat and olives. And, and But she always eats all the liverwurst. It's it's crazy to me. Um, which I do think it's, 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 a, it's a thing of like providing your kid with all the options and letting them explore and play with the foods. But also it's really interesting to kind of see which ones they gravitate towards each day. That can change every day. So definitely. Yeah. We love Thrive Market and for good reason. It's an online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable. You can shop for thousands of different foods and natural products, including non-GMO foods and snacks, vitamins, supplements, personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, organic baby food, and more. And the best part is you get to shop from home on your computer or with the Thrive Market app. And it's all shipped straight to your door. Their prices are 25 to 50% below retail prices because they cut out the middleman and buy straight from brands and then pass on that savings to us. In other words, for the first time in history, you can easily access wholesome alternatives to conventional products found at traditional supermarkets at the same prices or lower. We have a special offer for our well-fed women community at thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen. You can get $60 of organic groceries for free, plus free shipping, plus a free trial membership. You literally have nothing to lose, and you'll likely find many items that are already in your pantry. Go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen, and you can check the show notes for more information. All right, so the last question is from Amber Cat. I am interested in baby-led weaning. Should I introduce foods one at a time for a few days to look for reactions or just give baby whatever we're having for dinner? What kind of spices can baby handle? I know no added salt and sugar and honey. Should you wait to add fruits in until after baby has a taste for veggies? I'm not really doing any rice cereal, so what is the best way to get iron? Should I supplement? Which you did kind of talk about that a little bit if you just introduced the correct foods. But I want to, um, maybe you could just touch on a little bit about baby led weaning and what that is. And then also, 
how do we introduce allergen, potentially allergenic foods like peanut butter? What's the research say about introducing peanut butter? Because this is a really huge thing and it's really debilitating for these kids who have these allergies. It's really, it's, it's, it can change their lives. And so, you know, how can we support our kids? And, you know, maybe there's, Obviously, we can't control everything. But what are things that we can do to kind of support our kids and introduce allergenic foods in in an appropriate way? And you mentioned, you know, solids being established. What do you mean by that? Okay, so baby led weaning is where you allow your baby to self-feed. And it's a really great way to, um, to feed your baby because... There's no pressure um, on your baby to eat certain foods. And believe it or not, that pressure can actually um, lead to picky eating later on. Um, your baby can sense that. So it's really important to, even if you know that certain foods are important, not to pressure your baby to eat these foods. Um, and um, basically with baby lid weaning, what you do is you um, select foods that are soft that your baby can squish between the tongue and the top of the mouth. And, um, they're usually, um, as big as your finger, um, as long as, as well. So that way your baby can hold it. Um, you typically want to avoid hard round foods because these are choking hazards. Um, one of the most common issues that I see with it, um, with parents is that they're so, and this happened with my husband so many times, is that they get so freaked out when the baby starts gagging. You know, like your baby gets red and there's like tears and it's just, it's, it's a really traumatizing experience. Um, and it's, your baby's not choking though. I think it's really important to make that distinction because when a baby is choking, the baby will be silent and there will be like a bluish tinge to the complexion. It's a very different situation. So if your baby's making sounds and gagging, it's okay. That's just your baby learning how to move food around. There's um, the gag reflex, which is it's really um, ha- um, high up on the tongue. So um, and as your baby ages, it moves down um, to the back of the mouth. But um, that's a distinction to make because a lot of parents they just feel scared and I did too and my husband would get freaked out all the time with our um, youngest um, because he would think that he's choking but he's really not choking he's just learning to eat and it's the same as when a baby learns to walk the baby's gonna fall and hit their head and it's really traumatizing to see um, but it's okay they need to flex those muscles and they need to try and they need to go through that process and if you protect your baby from that process or withhold food or whatever because you you think they're not ready then you're actually interfering with that development um so i think that's really important to make that distinction so that's baby led weaning um what was the other part of the question so establishing solids and then introducing potentially allergenic foods okay oh and then she also asked about like meat or iron sources yeah like should she supplement yeah, with to okay, yeah. so um, oh, and so yeah, so doctors usually say start rice cereal because of the iron content, which actually, I mean, if that's the only way that you'll get iron, um, or you're able to get iron into your baby, then then I think it's okay. I don't think they're totally bad because there's actually um, there was some research that came out of the University of um, Otago, like, there's a lot of interest in baby led weaning from that those professors there. <laughs> it's like a big topic over in um, New Zealand. But um, anyways, they um, did this paper um, where they basically found that babies who eat according to baby led weaning, they're deficient usually in um, zinc and iron and B12. Um, and that is, those foods are meats. Like those, those nutrients are found in meaty foods. And so another sort of thing that pops up a lot that I see is that a lot of parents, they kind of like gravitate towards like avocados or sweet potatoes, um, uh, softened pears and apples and those types of foods. And while they're great foods, um, they do not have the nutrients that your baby needs. Your baby really needs the nutrient, the most nutrient dense foods in the home. That's, that's 
what they need. They need those meaty foods. They need the egg yolk. They need the bone marrow, um, the liver, all of those foods. Um, they are extremely important for development because your baby's not going to eat much. And so those foods have those nutrients in them at very high levels um, and um, a way to protect against um, what they found those deficiencies, zinc, iron, and B12, is to start with meat first. So um, uh, some of my favorite first foods would be like salmon, which is also a good source of DHA and D3. Um, salmon, wild-caught salmon, um, that's higher in vitamin D3 than uh, conventional farm salmon. Um, it's like four times higher. Um, so salmon, I like bone marrow. I have a whipped um, a recipe for whipped bone marrow on my website. Um, liver pate, um, and the bone marrow is really great because it's a way to, it's a fat, but it's an iron rich fat. So you can add that iron rich fat. that's rich in heme iron. You can add that to sweet potato or to these like starchy vegetables that your baby might be more interested in because they're sweet. Um, so that's a really great workaround. Um, and then just um, chicken is a, is a good one. Like if, if you do like an instant pot chicken, instant pot chicken, it's, it's, it's soft and they can kind of like eat that. Um, if it's steak or a harder meat like that, that's tough. Um, they'll usually suck on that. Um, and red meats have myoglobin in them, which is, um, it, it, it has heme iron. It's not blood. It's, um, it's that, that red fluid. It does contain, um, heme iron. So that's another, um, important food. So you're saying that probably like a lot of people, I think they introduce, let's say, avocado or sweet potato first, and that's kind of what they focus on. You're saying that's probably not the the best foods to focus on, especially I mean, in the beginning. You know, when I started this program or my uh, first foods program, um, some of the papers that I found were from this lady. She um, She's a professor at the University of um, it's UC Davis. And she works with the World Health Organization. And um, she says really clearly, like this is years and years ago, that um, your baby needs the most nutrient-dense food. Your baby needs iron. Your baby needs zinc. Your baby needs DHA. Your baby needs these elements that are found in meat foods. And then, like last year, 2016 or – yeah, I think it was – no, it's not last year. It's 2018. So two years ago, um, there was all that research around baby lead weaning, which is a very big trend. And they're finding that parents gravitate more towards veggies. And so they're not doing rice cereal. And so the babies are ending up being deficient in iron and zinc, which is sometimes added to rice cereal. So it's a really, so if you're not going to do cereal, then you need to do something that has iron in it. And that's preferable actually to do whole foods, right? I mean, because they add iron and zinc to cereal because they're not naturally rich in those um, minerals. What do you think about sardines? Is that a rich source as well you recognize yeah. Yeah. the bristling sardines i find to be the best um they can because they're so tiny so they're just like my kiddo just like eats them straight um but sardines is another i think pretty easy you know yeah. easy food to just pop open and and feed um and then so for introducing allergenic foods what oh, are your basic guidelines yeah so um basically you can introduce allergens even if your baby has mild eczema um, a lot of parents feel, I think, like cautious about that because their baby has obviously an immune gut thing going on. There's eczema. So there's this caution around it. But officially, according to what we know right now, um, you can introduce allergens even with mild eczema. If your baby has severe eczema, then you would want to work with um, your doctor and possibly get some tests done, but they're very also cautious about doing too much testing because usually within the first year, and this is also true, like a lot of babies I've noticed they have like stools that are bloody or mucusy. Um, it's becoming, it seems to me like it's becoming more common and usually they grow out of that by 12 months. So it, it, there's this sense that by 12 months, your baby will typically outgrow a lot of these food sensitivities as the immune system develops. Um, so there's that. So um, even with mild eczema, you can do allergens. Um, and there's this really interesting product. It's called Spoon One. I think you can get it on Amazon. And it basically has like these little packets that have all of the, all of the allergens in them, like wheat and shellfish and egg and everything. Um, the other ingredients are like sugar. And I mean, it's not, you know, the most awesome 
uh, ingredients, but it's pretty good. If you don't do, if you're paleo or you don't do grains or whatever, or you have your own food restrictions, um, you could try that. Um, but I would do that if you feel very comfortable with your baby's immune status. Um, so the um, official like recommendations would be to start with a very small amount of, say, peanut butter. Um, and then you wait 10 minutes and then you give your baby the rest of it. And it's all it's in that blog post. It's on my website. Um, I forget the amounts, but it's like a very, very tiny amount. You don't do a lot. Um, and and you wait and then you see if there's a response. If there's no response, then you give your baby the rest of it. And then you can you continue to do the allergens regularly like you you keep them in the baby's diet. Um, and if you can eat them yourself and you're breastfeeding even better. That's like ideal to do both breastfeed and eat those allergens and then also expose through foods and solids. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. So you have more programs because we have to go and we, we have, you have to, we have to let you go take care of your kids. Um, (laughs) you have other things to do. Um, so you have programs, you have your first foods program, um, that people can buy to get more information. What else do you have going on at MeganGarcia.com? We'll link to the first foods and beyond program in the show notes. We'll link to Megan Garcia. Where else can people find all the things you're doing and researching? I mean, that's pretty much it. MeganGarcia.com. I have that one program. I'm not doing anything else. I would like to, but um, I'm just, uh, I guess right now I'm doing a lot of talking to people. Um, and I, yeah, so I'm, I was on a podcast recently and we we're talking about this. Like, I don't really have like, I, I have what I'm doing and I'm talking to moms. And if you have any questions, you can definitely email me. Um, I don't really do any consults. Um, I'm happy to talk to you and I might not get to you right away because I have so much happening. And, but I do like to extend myself to, you know, people. I mean, I think like it's, if you need to buy like a hundred dollar bottle worth of gut pro and you don't have the money to do a consultation, I would much rather like talk to you and just like, I mean, help a parent out or a mom out because like you said, that period of time is so overwhelming and it's so stressful and it's just a, it can be difficult for on so many levels. And so I just get a lot just out of connecting with moms. So um, MeganGarcia.com and Instagram, there's a link, Facebook. Yeah, we'll link to all your stuff and we'll make sure everybody gets in touch with you that needs to get in touch with you. (laughs) Forward to you all the questions. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Thank you so much. This is so helpful. And if we have more questions, I mean, we can definitely, we'll bring you back on. If you guys want her on again, you can send me all the the questions and we'll definitely, we'll bring you back on, Megan, so that you can maybe, you know, we can have some more specific questions or maybe talk a little bit about um, Chinese medicine and how to integrate all that into... Both, you know, mom's health, but baby's health, Um, because it's complex. And you have definitely done a a fantastic job of being able to research all of it and talk about it objectively and not really, you know, not through the lens of paleo, um, not through the lens of like, well, what did our ancestors do? And that's what we should be doing instead, really focusing on like, how can we have the healthiest kids with the tools and the resources we've been given today? Um, which I think is really great. So thank you so much for taking the time to answer all these questions. Um, And hopefully maybe we can have you on again. (laughs) Great. Um, Okay. MeganGarcia.com. You can find more from me at CoconutsAndKettleBalls.com and more from Stephanie at PaleoForWomen.com. Follow us on the Insta at WellFedWomen. And we'll have links to all of Megan's stuff in the show notes. We will talk to you next week.